On this episode of Location Cubed, Howard talks about fast facts from his recent trip to San Antonio. We're joined by Brian Hunt, Vice President of Construction for USI, and we spend time talking about the evolution of risk management. But before we get to that, if you like what you hear, please hack the Like Button's iTunes account and spend time downloading every Michael Bolton and Barry Manilow song that you can find. Howard? Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, so I see that you're wearing Johnny Cash socks today. I am. And so the man in the, black. When, when we were in San Antonio, we took a, my wife and I took a riverboat cruise, and we learned a few facts. One was that Johnny Cash was actually stationed at an Air Force base, I believe Air Force, in San Antonio when he was younger and met his first wife there. Okay. Uh, we also learned that the San Antonio River, although it appears to be man-made, is a natural river and is only like two or three feet deep. Okay. And then we also learned that rice and beans is not necessarily an authentic Mexican dish, but that rice was brought over from Asia um, with all the railroad workers back in the 1800s. You learned quite a bit on your trip. Now, Brian, did you uh, wear black knowing that, that Howard was going to start off with some Johnny Cash facts, so you wanted to make this a tribute to the man in black? No, I'm, I'm a big fan of the man in black. I just happened to be like, this is kind of my go-to suit. Okay. Because <laughs> black is always, you know, stylish, and, you know, I try to be part of the times, but, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of my go-to. Cool. So, yeah. Well, since you're new on set and introducing to the folks for the first time, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and introduction. Tell us a little bit about what USI is and sure. what you do. Oh, well, first of all, guys, I want to say thank you for allowing me to come out here and talk to you and spread the gospel of risk management, which is, I guess, one of my passionate things. Um, <laughs> to my point. Um, I'm going to use that phrase now, the gospel of gospel risk management. Risk management. I love go that. right ahead. Yeah, there Absolutely. you go. No. Uh, my name is Brian Hunt. Uh, I'm born and raised here in Irving, Texas. So I'm the few, one of the few guys actually from here. Uh, longtime resident, went to uh, Attended Southwestern University down in Georgetown, Texas, where I received my bachelor's. Um, studied accounting and mm-hmm. political science. Uh, did my way through accounting most of my life, and then I would say the back, the bulk of my life has been doing insurance or risk management, one facet or the other. Uh, I started off, came maybe sort of like saying I was a forensic accountant, where I used to do claims analysis of property damage on the back end. So na- analyzing a property damage in this what we call the time element result, property uh, lost income, business interruption that results. From there, I did forensic. I was actually a um, forensic accountant again for, I did internal investigations for EDS. So I was doing a lot of sort of white collar crime, embezzlement, fraud, that kind of stuff. I'll be looking internal investigations for EDS. Uh, for all, I used to make the joke people, we have a, at the time, we had 150,000 people working around the world. Somebody's going to try to rip you off. And so, you know, that was an interesting environment. I got to travel the country and the world a little bit. And from there, I went to FM Global, where at FM Global, people don't know, it's the, uh, world's largest commercial insurance carrier. At that time, we had developed a firm that was mainly a sort of forensic finance guys like myself to help clients understand what their exposures might be before events actually occurred. Um, and as we've all kind of seen now in the past couple of years with supply chain interruptions and mm-hmm. pandemics, things that you didn't necessarily think about can happen and impact your bottom line. From there, went over to uh, work uh, general construction in Austin Industries. Uh, learned a lot about construction in a short mm-hmm. amount of time. Uh, from there, went to Aon. It was at Aon's Construction Services Group, where I was an account executive and chief administration officer for five years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, recently, I've been moved over to USI, which is, uh, most people don't know, we are the seventh largest commercial insurance brokerage in the country, uh, 8,500 employees around the country, United mm-hmm. States. And I specialize specifically in helping clients through the risk transfer programs for construction and real estate. So, Great. Great. Sounds like you, you, you've had a few more... Um, as many experiences as Rob, different company. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah. 
So you've been doing this for quite a while. Yes. So how has risk management changed or evolved over the years? Oh, no. Thinking back to when you first started yeah. to kind of where, where we are now. No, I think even like I would go back to say when I started at FM Global, it was a, it was a prime time when we started that firm. I was for a consulting firm with an FM. It was all about trying to help clients understand their exposures before the event occurs. I think prior to that, in the insurance world, you know, and um, people think it's like you buy insurance, you do the renewal, broker seat takes you to golf, see you next year. Um, and then along that lines, one of my favorite podcast uh, hosts, um, Scott Galloway, um, Professor Scott, uh, Prof G, he had a quote recently, you know, about because he's making like he made the observation that you know a lot of people in insurance they make pretty good money, but they're not very smart. Um, and I took that a little bit of an insult, but then I stopped and thought about it. I go, no, that's kind of almost, I would say, the old way of doing insurance and risk mm-hmm. management. It's like, it's transactional. You place insurance. Yeah, I've got coverage. i got a COI to show my, my owner. Let me move on. But I think as we've evolved over the years, Katrina Rita, Sarbanes-Oxley, the, the events of her tsunamis that knock out supply chain in Thailand and all that sort of ripples around the world. Mm-hmm. Now we've seen, you know, pandemics, uh, the as a result, how that's played in supply chain, shifting demographics. Um, there are a lot of things that can go bump in the middle of the night that people don't realize mm-hmm. that go beyond insurance. So it's really more of a question of, yes, it's good to have insurance, but do you really understand what could go wrong? And are you looking at enterprise holistically, enterprise mm-hmm. risk management at a holistic level? And that's mm-hmm. why I would say risk management has evolved. It needs to be holistic. It needs to be sort of overarching. What are the things that could go wrong at your firm that are not just specific to insurance. Mm-hmm. Are there are there any specific events that you think folks should be thinking about? And you know, no one thought about a pandemic. Yeah, a lot of folks didn't think about except you know, for Bill Gates. Except for Bill Gates, yep. some of the supply supply chain issues that yeah. we're having. Yeah. Are there things that you know kind of keep you awake and say, hey, this is a sure. possibility. This could happen, but folks just aren't thinking about it. No, and I'll I'll take you to a point um, just to show how exciting my life has been. I was about to say five years ago. Uh, I was at a disaster recovery conference yeah. uh, for guys like me who think about the worst case. And at that time, there was a head of, uh, head of infectious diseases for Yale School of Medicine talked to us about pandemics. And the pandemic that people still haven't thought about yet, that hasn't happened yet, is the mutation of the flu occurs to the point your body doesn't recognize. Mm-hmm. That's what people have been thinking about. So to your point, there have always been people out there talking about it, but what I think people don't under, have done a poor job over the years is understand the risk, but then how do you quantify the risk? Mm-hmm. So like you tell me that a supply chain disruption is going to occur, but what does that actually mean to the bottom line? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think as evolved or it needs to occur, you need to think about your risk and not just say low, medium, high risk to your operations, but specifically what is your plan if the worst case situation occurs? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not that difficult to mitigate, but as I think we've lost seen right now in construction, which is more of an extenuation of what's occurred over the years of globalization, you put too much concentration on, say, how are you lived in China? Mm-hmm. A lot of manufacturers out of China, great, but what happens if the labor can't go to the factories, it's shut down, mm-hmm. or you can't get it on a container. Right. You can't get over, so there's, to the point, the it's you need to think about your weakest link in your chains. Mm-hmm. And think about what is the plan if it goes wrong. And so, like, obviously now pandemics on people's mind. One of the things I always say, okay, what do you do if you, like, we're starting to see with cyber attacks, how do you react if your IT system goes right. down? What do you do if, say, your key employees, God forbid, go into a plane crash? Mm-hmm. How do you resume operations? Right. 
but who how do you how do you train someone or train a company to think like that yeah. because you think about you mentioned the supply chain yep. and it's like okay so because of the pandemic and then because of the supply chain and the chips used car prices went through the roof Correct. who would have <laughs> thought okay there could be a pandemic and used car prices are going to go through the roof how do we deal with that yeah. you know i mean how do you get to there's so much randomness with what oh, could sure. happen, but yeah. how does someone kind of get trained to be able to think in that regard to be able to make those decisions or to be prepared for that? Yeah, and I think the point is, I think whether it be someone, you pair up, I would strangely argue that your broker should not just be someone who's transactionally giving you a policy and walks away. Mm-hmm. You need to have trusted risk advisors mm-hmm. who are going to be with you and sort of really part of your team, for lack right. of better reference, in the sense that in the day, as I tell my clients, it is not my job to tell you what you want to hear. It's my job to tell you what you need to hear. Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, you can make an informed decision. You can't, you, know, you can't, you know, if you really want to be risk averse, you stay in your, in your room and you never leave, right? But then business unto itself is taking a risk. But don't you need to have a risk advisor that's thinking, to Howard's point, outside the box Correct. a little bit? You can't just be thinking about what are your risks and exposure as it relates to your local market Correct. in Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah. What happens if there is a global conflict somewhere, yeah. or even a regional conflict that is going to interrupt your supply chain? So you, you know, we've been talking about that in terms of the pandemic and right. what happens if a specific manufacturing region in China shuts down yeah. because of a new mutation of of COVID. Right. But you know, who saw coming? Well, there's going to be a war, potentially a war in Ukraine that's not just going to impact fuel prices. Yeah. It's going to impact the production of corn, the production of peanuts, the production of other food staples that are going to ripple through the economy. Did folks see that? You know, who knows whether they did or didn't, but don't you need a risk advisor, I think, more like you, who's thinking about things in a more global context, not just thinking about Dallas-Fort Worth. Correct. And and before you respond to that, I want to add to that commentary is, how do you insure for that? If you even insure for that. Well, do you? Can you insure for that? Well, and that's to a a great point. So, yeah, I mean, this is a great conversation. So to, to take that last second... Insurance is, people say, is like, like first, before I got into insurance, I thought, oh, boring, stodgy, why would I want to do that? I find insurance to be fascinating in the sense because if something goes wrong in the marketplace or something in the economy, insurance is one of the first industries to try to come up with a solution for right. it. And one of the things that you've that has evolved over the years is the brand new insurance policies or mechanisms to do mm-hmm. risk transfer. Uh, and a quick example is that, like, one of the big things for construction world that we've always had an issue with is how do you deal with Weather delays. I mean, we've had no rain forever. We actually might have some weather today. Well, and I think I think all the general contractors in Texas would be happy to get this rain for a day. <laughs> yeah. Everybody would get rain. But so, like, like a couple of years ago, we were having a lot of rain that was causing delays, and that goes into liquefied damages and, and overruns. Um, you can't necessarily insure that because, you, um, like, say, you have a contract and you have liquefied damage if you don't hit the target date. Mm-hmm. Well, you, in the United States, you can't insure against liquefied damage because it's like insuring yourself for, like, say, I'm, I'm going to screw up, therefore mm-hmm. I get insurance on the backside. But with, the, I would say, the use of like, large data and technology, you can now place like parametric coverages on certain mm-hmm. types of events. And so that, like, say, if you're concerned, you've got a job site in Texas and you've recognized, say, 30 days of one-inch rain over the course of your, of your job mm-hmm. build, that's probably going to have delays and mm-hmm. overruns and you know, uh, mobilization costs you didn't have in your, in your budget. A parametric coverage would, would trigger... You can design it. It's like if you go beyond 30 inches, 30 days of one-inch rain, then you can start getting a payout every time. It, it rains another one inch. And so that's the kind of thing that's evolved over the years in the sense that there are new ways to try to transfer some of that risk. Um, in the day, you can't insure everything because if you insured everything, the cost of premiums would be so you know, prohibitive, then why are you open right, your right. business? You know? So there is a question. There's always be risk you're going to retain. 
but there are new ways to try to transfer some of that things. Even like now, there are ways, uh, and I wanted to sell this company, there are now like tradable, uh, I guess, I say policy, if I could, like say, if you're concerned if a hurricane hits through New Orleans, mm-hmm. you can place an option, yes or no, and then if you, you can structure the payout, if say a scale two hurricane goes through hur- like New Orleans, you could get a payout because right. that could impact your supply chain, your, 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 your sales, whatever the case may be. So I don't want to go too dark here, but I have a, I have a question, and, and it's driven by something that I actually read and saw in the mainstream news over the weekend. Yeah. Um, City of New York put out a video instructing residents. I don't know if you saw this, Howard. This, no, I saw this. It, it yeah. actually kind of put chills on my, yeah. my back a little yeah. bit. How to respond in the event of a nuclear crisis. Right. So that's a small weapon dedicated somewhere in a major metropolitan yeah. area yeah. or yeah. a larger airburst nuclear strike. Yeah. I can't believe it's 2022 and we're talking about that again. But but that's on yeah. the minds of folks. I mean, yeah. is that, I hate to ask the question, but yeah. is that an insurable risk or is that one of those things that you say, look, I mean, that is the remotest of the remote. Yeah. We can't insure against everything. Well, yeah, I mean, not to go far into the gray, but like there are typically exclusions, like say for war exclusions. Right. And now a lot of time a nuclear explosion might be considered a war exclusion, but the resulting fire, mm-hmm. that could be insured. Right. But no, to your point, that's, and that's like say in the government, FEMA, higher echelons, yeah. They're constantly doing role playing, right. or, or, or you know, worst case scenarios. Yeah. yeah, war game studies, things exactly. like that. Yeah, yeah and scenarios. I and I would say, you know, it's unfortunate the way the you know Putin has basically become a you know a Bond villain now. Unfortunately, yeah. that's brought about you know the concern of nuclear weapons. But the, still, the material's always always been out there that the concern of a of a you know a yeah. nest team would always be concerned about a dirty bomb or even a nuclear right. bomb. The fact that you had to do that, that yeah, I saw the news and people probably got a little scared about it. But that's also kind of what people. Governments need to do and inform the incidents like to think you got to have a plan for the worst case. And I'll give you an example. This past couple of days, we've been getting notices from ERCOT about we might have to have rolling blackouts. Yep. So we all experienced that five, you know, a couple of years ago yep. where Texas lost five days of power, which is, you know, that's another story. Um, having lived in the Northeast in high school, I've seen my house not have power for 10 days. So I, that's why I live here. I don't want to do that, you know. <laughs> but I mean, to the point, I mean, to talk about resiliency, one of the things I did was bought a, I didn't buy a, a gas-powered generator, but I do have what's called, like, it's like a, basically one large rechargeable battery yep. that for a number of days I could run my refrigerator on and off for four hours. I could, you know, put a light on, right. run, do the toaster, have some basic functional of civilization. Right. Uh, because hopefully I will never have to use it. Well, you didn't need it for the refrigerator. You just had to open the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's say it happened tomorrow with our, our, our power structure. But the fact is, like, you need to think about the worst and plan yeah, for yeah. Think about the worst, plan for the best. Does that mean you have to build a, you know, nuclear fallout shelter in your backyard? You know, I'd probably rather go up in the in the fire in the first place, you know. But to have, like, say, personally, do you have, like, water in your house that you can get access to? Dried food for a couple of days. I mean, that sounds kind of, like, crazy in this modern world. See, Howard knows I do. He's looking at me because he's coming to my house. I do. I know that. Yeah. yeah. So I have gas in the and now, and now you are, too. No, yeah, I mean, I do, because... <laughs> You think about things holistically. Take it back from like nuclear war or even bomb. One of the largest, scariest books I've read recently was a book i written called um, This is How They Tell Me the World's Gonna End. And the woman who did it covered the whole hacking community mm-hmm. for the New York Times for like 20 years. So she wrote this entire book about the beginning of the hacking community to where it is now, you know, zero-day hacks, um, the, the presence of nation states who are collecting these zero-day hacks and are ready to deploy them when they want to. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest concerns when the Russian invasion occurred was were the Russians going to start deploying attacks on our system? 
And that still could happen, and we're going to probably attack them. So do you, and I would always tell my clients, anybody, you got to have a plan to withstand, say, five to ten days of no power, no telecommunications, no electricity, um, and no water. I mean, because that is what we've gotten to this point. We were so exposed from a cyber perspective. You know, Internet of Things, all that can happen. And, all the, and I'm telling you, I'm not just making this stuff up. It's a very incredible book. There are concerns that if the Russians, the Chinese, North Koreans decided to go you know, active on this, we would see widespread you know, mm -hmm. you know, decimation of our infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And that has to be part of someone's plan. Right. I mean, like again, you don't have to be all like survivalist, but you got to be able to survive you know, five to ten days. Well, and you think about you know, infrastructure, the grid, and things like that. No. It's not just an attack on those systems. It's the failure to be able to maintain Correct. those systems. Mm -hmm. Correct. Can we get the spare parts? Yeah. You know, when I'm having yeah. you know, trouble getting you know, spare parts for a, a basic automobile, yeah. you know, God forbid we have you know, trouble getting spare parts yeah. for you know, tur turbines yeah. and yeah. generators yeah. Yeah. and substations, yeah. that to me is, is really the risk. It, it does to a certain extent come back to supply chain right. and our reliance upon yeah. you know, third-party producers to, to provide those parts for us. But I think it's a very real risk as well. And, and go ahead. I, no, but well, say it. Go ahead. No, no, keep going because I want to just kind of summarize one, yeah. one yeah. thing. Is, is basically, the, but the key, you said this a little bit earlier, is you know, can you insure it? Should you insure it? Mm -hmm. We also have to keep remembering to the point of risk management versus risk transfer, risk avoidance, yeah. et cetera, right. and that it's not always just how do you, you know, awareness is probably bigger than almost anything else yeah. in this whole yeah. conversation. No, and it goes back, in order to make an informed decision, you need to have solid data. Yeah. And if you're, if you're not making a decision without data or input that what, how, how extreme or concerned this risk might be, then you might be making the wrong decision on behalf of yourself, your family, and your firm. Well, you know, you made the point earlier, Howard. How do you get into that mindset of just thinking about yeah. it? Maybe that's the first step in the battle is yeah. knowing that I have to even consider these risks. And hopefully folks watching this, you know, it's not all gloom and doom. Hopefully they just took some thought bubbles out of this yeah. to say, hey, maybe we do need to look at our risk management plan Correct. in more detail, have that 5, 10 days of you know, no power, no telecommunications, and understanding we have to have an alternative plan in place yeah. to deal with that. Well, I think you start by not hiring a bunch of accountants because we're still living in 2021. <laughs> uh, I think you might be a few years beyond that. It yeah. seems more sometimes like the 80s. Uh, we need to live in 2022 or 2025, more importantly. Yeah. That, that's how we need to make our decisions. Exactly. And add that, I am a CPA too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Another but, fun fact we didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's but, full but of you, fun facts. But you fulfilled the dream of every accountant. Oh, exactly. <laughs> which is to no longer be an accountant. I, I thought you were going to say to go into risk management. <laughs> <laughs> Just anything not being an accountant. <laughs> So as, as sort of a teaser for another upcoming episode that we're going to have talking about economic conditions, mm -hmm. um, talk about what you're seeing just in, in construction economy sure. right now, yeah. DFW and sure. perhaps nationally. Yeah. What do you think happens for the, the second half of 22? What do we look like going into 2023? Yeah, it's a good point. So let's kind of take it back to even like the great when the pandemic started, um, even before that. You know, during the Great Recession, at least in Texas— and we were talking about this earlier. I mean, obviously the nation got hit hard, and there were sections like Florida, Southern California that really got took it in the teeth in the real estate. North Texas, I would say Texas overall, I think kept their head above water. Mm -hmm. um, there were still an influx of people who were coming in, and then also like we were talking about, say during have you lived here in the Great Savings and Loans debacle? I mean, they were lending money out to anybody, yeah. you know. And since that time, the state put, at least to her benefit, put in more tighter restrictions for underwriting for mm -hmm. providing loans. 
So when you had, like, say, in Florida, the liar loans and, you know, yeah. getting, like, financing and getting cash on top of that, like, this crazy stuff, right? Texas is a little more restrictive in the sense that, so you had, obviously, you know, liquidations in, in uh, people going default, but not to the level of other, other states. And so we kept ahead above water. Also, as a result, during that Great Recession, just so many people left construction. I mean, like, mm-hmm. home builders got out. Multifamily got out. And people who actually worked construction mm-hmm. got out. Because um, I and I make this joke about you know people say and that's really a joke but you think about the why is it you can't find the people who want to do um, labor in construction well, I'll give you two parts one statistically you're more likely to die on a job site than you are in law enforcement so put wrap your brain around that you know, do I really want to do this every day two rightly or wrongly we've had crackdown on immigration in the sense because that's been a stable source of mm-hmm. labor I'll make let you guys figure that out yourself but you t- you take those two parts. You got few people in the labor pool. Then, as we all kind of saw, Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, things start really getting hot, you know, five years ago, seven years ago. Pandemic hits, multiple things happen. People want to get out of the large cities, the New York, Southern California, Chicago's, and they're coming here in droves. Mm-hmm. So they're coming here in droves, which is bringing up demand for distribution, warehousing, uh, e-commerce, all these things. Even housing has had to catch up. There's still mm-hmm. a lack of housing in North Texas where it should have been on the trend line. So there's still plenty of demand for homes. Um, and then obviously you take into account the issues. We've all, like, it's, it's impacting the entire industry as far as supply chain occurred out mm-hmm. of you know, Southern Asia, whatever the case, and still not enough labor to do the job. Um, so delays, taking forever to get your home. And then during COVID, obviously getting permits out of the like, city was difficult as well. So I say you mix that in all to a stew, hence you've had these problems. Fast forward to where we are now, supply chain's starting to come back up, but now, but now we're starting to see more lockdowns in China, so that could be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, labor is interesting, it's still tough to find people. But now what's going to be interesting now to see is that now rates are coming back up. And people say, well, rates is going to kill the economy. Well, I go, wait a minute. I bought my house roughly 25 years ago in Dallas. I had good credit. Everything was great. on my 30-year note, you know? And I was having a conversation with the owner of a general contractor, $600 million general contractor. He bought his house, maybe a couple years before me, 8%. That was normal, you know? And we've had all these years of quantitative easing by the Fed who pressed down rates to be not natural. So now we're trying to, you know, like any sort of, take about a macro book in economics. Mm -hmm. You're printing money, it's inflationary. And because you're devaluing the money, so rate prices go up. Now, we've got a lot of factors going inflation, but rates are going to come up, as they should, because if you're going to be a natural rate, get it, say, closer to four and a half, five, six. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's obviously going to cool some water on housing, uh, because obviously you add interest rates, all things equal, your house payment's going to go up, so some people may not be able to afford certain homes, but then at the same time, people should overextending themselves. Um, same time, some commercial projects are starting to be put on the shelf, talking to some of my contacts in construction, because... If a developer is looking at a pro forma and he had anticipated 2.5% interest rate on the loan and now he's looking at six, might be a little yep. different. Right. But then that necessarily is not necessarily a bad thing. It's been so hot, running so hot here, a little normalcy may not be a bad thing. Right. Um, so in my mind, pulling back a little bit off the gas would probably be a smart thing rather than to keep on chugging and going. So, so that's kind of where we're standing in the sense that we're seeing from a local level, Texas, North Texas, throughout, say, Texas, it's still like there's still plenty of activity. I mean, you're still having semiconductor manufacturing occurring. I mean, TI is putting $40 billion up in Sherman. 
Uh, Samsung's putting uh, 15 down in Taylor. Still, another, one, another one going up in Sherman as well. Correct, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's still playing to be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, other parts of the country, we are starting to see, like, you know, in, at least my residential standpoint, you know, cancellation on contracts uh, from a residential standpoint, which kind of probably makes a little sense. Again, if the rate you're anticipating was 2.5 to finance your mortgage and now you're going to 5 or 6, you probably need to put that off for a while. Um, so I would say overall, it, it, there's, there's going to be a slowdown, but not to the point where it's like the Great Recession as it was again. I mean, I think it's going to get anything back to some normalcy, you know, so that we're not having these long extended periods on construction projects because of not enough labor or the subs are overextended. To that point, one thing we are starting to see, we are starting to see uh, problems amongst the subcontractor base as far as, and I always say this from a surety standpoint, there's two times surety underwriters get concerned. When things are great, and when things are bad. <laughs> and we're like, when things are great, these guys, are subcontractors, I love them, they start doing well and they overextend themselves, they take on jobs they shouldn't, or they're buying that ranch or that plane they shouldn't, and then when they can slow down, now they're stuck with these fixed assets they can't unload, and they have a hard time with cash, controlling cash. Um, that, unfortunately, we're starting to see. But then Darwinian economics suggesting you know, we should get rid of some of the, um, the slower gazelles right. and let the strong ones win. So, You've been listening to Location Cubed. Big thank you to Brian Hunt, Vice President of Construction for USI. Thanks for joining us and talking about risk management. It's been a pleasure. If you like what you heard, just a reminder, please hack the Like Button's iTunes account and download every Michael Bolton and Barry Manilow song that you can find. You listened to Location Cubed.